Listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison. Welcome, listeners, back to the SDSU Football Podcast. I am your host Andre Hagverdian, and joined as always by Paul Garrison. What's going on, Paul? What's going on, brother? I'm I'm doing very very well for uh, you know. Uh, holiday week man um aztecs playing out in maui san diego state coming off of a win uh look into you know it's always i think something special to play an academy team so a lot to talk about a lot to get into we've got another uh special guest for this episode we talked about last time i think everybody appreciates having a special guest hearing somebody else talk about what they do instead of us talking so we've got jr tolver aztec for life hey now i thought i thought after episode 50, we were just going to mic drop it and be like, okay, yeah. like it's not getting any better. All right. So to be able to, uh, to, to jump into the, the, the next part of this journey with uh, JR, I think it's pretty solid, man. Yeah. Before we get to the interview with JR, uh, let's just do a quick recap from the New Mexico game. It was a Friday night game. So it's been a couple of days. It was, you know, as we expected, as we talked about last week's podcast, yeah, we called it a trap game, but we also knew that a lot would have to go wrong for the Aztecs to not win this game. And, and you know, for the most part, mostly everything went right, um, except for maybe the second defensive drive of the game against New Mexico. What what, were, what did you think about the performance and, and, you know, with one game left in the season? I think there were, there were two huge positives. I thought it was the first game. The offense looked like the only way that they were going to be stopped was beating themselves. Um, San Diego State was absolutely dominant, and you know it's uh, it's New Mexico. We we did call it a, a trap game because we couldn't see any reason why the Aztecs couldn't win. That was the trap, um, but it shouldn't be overlooked that they have a good defense. That Rocky Long, um, Danny Gonzalez, that they came over and they've been able to put together a defense and an offense that complements their defense. Um, and so, what the Aztecs were able to do. I think was was really good. Jalen Maiden was in there for for nine possessions, um, and I think they got points on seven of them. And it, it was just it was just a special night for the offense. And then the other I think big takeaway was I think the first half and the poor tackling from the defense that allowed New Mexico to be able to move the ball pretty well in the first half. They gave up ten yeah. points. He had other drives that were moving, but they, you know, they, like they threw an interception around midfield because they were moving the ball again. I think it should be a very like when they go to their meeting rooms and they say, "This is one of the worst offenses in football," and we are schematically not the same, but you know, they're cousins, right? In yeah. Air Force, who's eight and three. If you all tackle in the first half, it, like you did in the first half against New Mexico, against Air Force, it is going to be a completely different outcome. And so just the opportunity to be able to have that real life lesson, I think, is a positive because I think, um, you know, this upcoming game is going to be incredibly difficult. My main takeaway is Mikai Shaw. Hey. New uh, scholarship athlete. Congratulations, You know, we we had we had we talked about it last week about the one scholarship left, and you know Shaw or Celestine. You know, obviously 
Celestine's had a great year. Yep. But Shaw had a career night, scored two touchdowns. Uh, and Monday night or Monday during practice, uh, Brady Hoke asked him to stand up and, and gave him a scholarship. I was fortunate enough to get a chance to chat with his mom pretty soon after that video came out. Awesome. And also his uh, high school football coach, uh, Marlon Gardinera from Scripps Ranch. Mm-hmm. And I put that I put some of their quotes and, and thoughts into my article that came out uh, earlier this week. So mm-hmm. really a great story. Uh, a humble kid, you know, a local kid, obviously. And, and you know, everybody was had been pulling for him. And it was great to see him not have the success and then have it lead to a reward of a scholarship. So, you know, he's going to be around for another two years at least. So it's going to be fun to watch him and Jalen Maiden as they, as the SDSU uh, Twitter account called it the M&M connection. <laughs> Maiden and Mackay. Uh, it'll, it'll be fun. Can we add one more in Mark, Mark Redmond? You know, just just being able to see, and hopefully, maybe uh, Matthews next year. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, come on, all these M's. It's it's a made, lot of M's, yeah, a lot of M's. But no, I I think everything you said is really great, and you know, it's it's funny because the coaching staff is not. I've noticed that the coaching staff praises two kinds of players. They praise their already established stars, right? And then they praise the walk-ons and everybody in between, they just talk about, oh, you know, they need to improve. They need to, they need to be consistent, you know, and, and it's always those things. And so, you know, when we first started covering Makai Shaw, you know, it was, it was for some of the preview articles, right? We started talking about like for the season preview position of reviews and things like that. You'd what we go to practice, he'd make a play. Right. It was enough that we, we, we were asking at the press conferences about him and you hear things and, you know, and I wasn't sure what to make of all of the positive things that were being said of him. You know, was it because he was this special, special enough to earn a scholarship, or was it because they were trying to motivate the other receivers in the group to be able to, you know, because they're talking about uh, Darius Dalos Reyes, another walk-on local kid, um, and who, who's impressed and been high on the depth chart as well. And so, just to just to see, you know, the full evolution and the moves that he made against New Mexico and and the crafty routes that he ran. Obviously to catch a 51 yarder that didn't take a whole bunch, but to be able to catch it inside in, in the middle of the field in that little zone. Yeah. Carry the defender into the end zone. It, it was a good play. And and I think it 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 does bode well for some excitement for the future. Yeah, you know, it's sometimes some players' opportunities come from you know, negative things, right? TJ Sullivan was supposed to be that number three right. receiver. I believe he tore his ACL or MCL. I'm not sure what, what ligament it was, but, you know, his injury made room for Shaw to become a starter. Now, that doesn't mean that Shaw wouldn't have been playing snaps and catching passes, but obviously as a starter, you're, you're on the field a lot more. And so he has been able to seize that opportunity uh, to make, you know, the best use for him. The yeah. other The other part of that game that was, Critical was Keenan Kristen, 102 yards, and almost half of that came on one run. But that was a fourth great. down run. Great, great. <laughs> You're right. That was a fourth and one at midfield when they'd mm-hmm. already not gotten a fourth and one earlier in the half. 100%. So, I mean, it was good to see him. It was. It's only the second 100-yard rusher of the season for San Diego State. I mean, five years ago, every they could have had – they sometimes had, they had two guys with 100 yards in a game, right? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, exactly. And I think last year, what, the first five games, they went over 200 yards each game. So absolutely. 
Uh, to, just to, to piggyback a little bit what you're talking about with um, TJ Sullivan, if you, if you look at the video, a few people come from out of the screen and they're yeah. the older guys, you know, and so it's Shavers, Matthews, and then yeah. Sullivan comes over to congratulate him. And so I, I think that, uh, you know, TJ really appreciated Shaw's stepping into, into that void. And, but I think that's a really, really good point. And I agree about Keenan Christian. I mean, as good as that run was, I thought it was a better play design by Horton to learn what went wrong in the first fourth down that they didn't get put in a, a faster running back instead of having a receiver split out wide they they put in a third tight end and they put in a tight end who can actually get to the edge and so it was like he was predicting that it was going to be it was going to be the exact same play again and that's exactly how it looked except this time you had a faster back you had one extra blocker and they were able to go to the house um but i thought that um jordan bird could make that play other other running backs could have, if not scored, at least gotten really good yardage there. But I think there were a couple of other runs that were very special by him, where he was very, very like strong inside, early even, getting like a four-yard gain, whereas I think before it would have been slower to develop and he would have been looking a little bit. He had a 17-yard run, another 20-yard run. So I, I think, you know, him, his ability to really put his head into the hole and get four yards is what is going to lead to him breaking off 17 and breaking off when those creases are there and, and really hitting it. Um, and so I think it was a very positive. And again, it's the same, it's the same broken record, you know, that, that, that we keep talking about the more these guys get to play, the more they get to develop, the the better the offense is going to look next year, because I think Sheldon Canley and Lucky Sutton. Yeah. They played, they didn't, they didn't look out of place that much, you know, and obviously it's late and whatever, but I think that, 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 that they're um, absolutely going to, there's a lot of carries up for grabs next year. And I'm not really sure that there's anyone who's really elevated themselves so much that you're just saying, okay, that's the guy next year. And so I think the competition is going to be fierce and, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't shock me if, if they were in the hunt for a running back transfer, you know, to be able to come in and compete. So really exciting and again good rushing defense good rush defense that they were able to do that against so, sidestepping a little bit there was there i had a hypothetical thought during the game on friday night that okay. i want to pose to you and get your thoughts on if braxton burmeister and kyle crumb don't get injured in the boise state game and are able to practice leading up to the hawaii game is Jalen Maiden still playing safety right now? Remember, they made the coaching change right. after the Boise game. Right. But most of that was because at that point, they only had one scholarship quarterback available to practice, mm-hmm. which was Liu Amavai, because mm-hmm. Kyle Crum broke his collarbone, so he was going to be out, and Braxton had the head injury. If both of those guys are healthy and practicing and there's three, does Maiden move over to quarterback, or is he still playing safety right now? It's it's really difficult to obviously know, but my guess is that they were looking for an upgrade. Yeah, my, my, my guess is that they would have at least given Maiden the opportunity to have that breath of fresh air with the new staff coming in. Now, would he have gotten the same number of reps? Would he have? Would he yeah. have? You know what I mean? Those kinds of things. Absolutely not. But I think I think that that. When you're averaging 65 yards 
you know, and not to, this is not in any way to do my own harm, but his experience is such a big deal. I mean, it's the reason it was the reason why I thought he would be the guy who would compete with Braxton Burmeister at the very beginning. It was his experience, his demeanor and the person that he is. I think he's just been the perfect quarterback. I mean, forget his play, right? Cause that's, that's obvious, but just to be able to lead this transition. I mean, I, I, I don't feel like I've ever seen a mid season coaching change go this smoothly. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think that, you know, people want to go and they, they, they want to point to, you know, Jeff Eklinski or Jeff Horton or Ryan Lindley and, 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 you know, wherever you want to point, find your thing. But the reason it's gone smoothly is because Jalen Maiden is special. And I think that they, 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 they needed that kind of calming effect and they needed somebody who had the complete respect of the team. And that is exactly what Jalen Maiden had as a safety. As a safety, he had the full respect of everybody on the team. And that was the only way they were going to be able to bring their season around. And so I think that they were probably smart enough to realize that and would have talked and had that conversation anyway. Um, But it just made it really easy when, you know, you didn't have those guys available. Let me throw one added nugget in there for you. Okay. So Ryan Lindley was at Mississippi State. He was Jalen Maiden transferred from Mississippi State. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. did not overlap, right? But a lot of the players and a lot of the offensive coaching staff were the same. And so, when I had a chance to talk to Ryan Lindley after practice two weeks ago, mm-hmm. the first question I asked was, "When you were making this decision to come, you know, from Mississippi to San Diego, and you're on your flight, were you picking the brains of these coaches about, you know, Jalen Maiden? Did you even know?" And I'm so and and the and what he said is, I'd already been talking to all those guys about Jalen Maiden because he played for my alma mater. I wanted to know about him, so he made it sound like he already had been had heard all these amazing things about Jalen Maiden before he ever decided to come be the quarterback coach. Yeah, that's why I I agree with you that even with those guys healthy, that Ryan might have come in and been like, "Hey, what about Jalen?" Right. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's give him a shot because, mm-hmm. you know, they were looking for an upgrade because uh, even with Brad Burmeister, when he was healthy, did not play particularly well. Mm-hmm. And you can say that's part of the the, co- the play calling and stuff. But, yeah, I, I, I was thinking that and I remembered what Ryan Lindley said when I asked him about that. And it, made, it told, told me that I think Jalen would have still moved, would have been asked to say, hey, come back to quarterback and see what you got. Just so I got this. You asked me a hypothetical. That wasn't really a hypothetical because you had background information <laughs> setting me up to say the uh, the wrong answer, and then you were going to bring it in. But see, no, you said you said no, the right just, answer. Well, I know, but you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm just well, kidding. it was a hypothetical. Completely, completely, because it the wasn't happening. I provided with the hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> Set there me up, but, me up, but I, I saved myself. But I, it's a it's a fascinating thought that if those two guys didn't get injured. I don't know. I was thinking, I was thinking. No, I mean, there's a hundred things. There's a hundred things. I mean, whatever circumstances were surrounding, you know, whatever different ideas anyone has about Will Haskell's transfer. It's this exact same question, right? I mean, everyone's opinion of what Will Haskell was going to be if he was only allowed to play was what Jalen Maiden's doing. And and that's, that's the exact same thing. If, if Will Haskell had decided that he was going to stick, stick it out, I think that Jalen Maiden there, I think there was less of a chance that Jalen Maiden would be asked 
uh, in either situation, just because I think they would wanted to give the keys to to Will Haskell and say, okay, look, what do you got? And and so you know that's you know fortuitous, I guess, from 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 what's taken place um, with Maiden, and obviously anybody transferring, as long as it's what you know they want and it, they're okay with it, right? But as far as what's worked out for the program, I mean, it, being able to to get Maiden the way that they have is just is just. Uh, Great fortune, great fortune all the way around. And so many different little pieces had to happen to open up the opportunity. But then you had to have a special player to be able to do what he's done, which is just crazy. All right. Uh, let's get into the interview with JR. Um, obviously, he is a Aztec Hall of Famer, Aztec for life, has holds a lot of wide receiver records uh, at San Diego State and is a big part of you know how, what San Diego State is doing and, and some of the NIL stuff. So let's get into that interview. We want to welcome J.R. Tolver, Aztec for Life, onto the podcast. How are you doing today, man? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me. We uh, we had Craig Smith, the SDSU Director of Player Personnel, on the podcast last week. He was talking about the role NIL has played in recruiting, and obviously that's a big part of what, he's, what he does. And he mentioned that there was a new collective that had been started for San Diego State players by a former player. And how that was a big step. And so, you know, you're that former player, right? And Aztec Link is that collective. And uh, per the website, it says it's dedicated to assisting San Diego State student athletes in capitalizing on their name, image, and likeness, likeness while never compromising integrity in the pursuit of excellence. It also says that it's not affiliated with San Diego State, although it's exclusive for San Diego State student athletes and fans. Can you talk about how this came about? Name, image, and likeness has been interesting. I think over the last year or so, and I've been in the uh, the business of business for a long time. You know, my goal is always to do anything that I can to to help the program. And uh, I felt like I was in a position to to dedicate a little bit of time to to really follow the lead of what some of these other bigger schools were doing. Uh, we got a chance to see what Cal was doing and what the University of Texas is doing. You know, Brady says it all the time. Uh, we're a Power Five program. We're just not in a Power Five conference at this point. Mm-hmm. And so we felt like if the big boys were going out and, you know, putting together systems of support for student athletes, why not San Diego State? So, yeah, just kind of took the lead on it and uh, trying to trying to really create a, a, an ecosystem of businesses and fans uh, that care a lot about the student athletes at San Diego State and you know, want to be involved and support them any way that they can. And uh, that was the, the entire goal. of. And how, how does Aztec Link work as far as, you know, financial compensation to the players? Is it, do certain players get more? Is it a flat payment monthly? How does that work? Yeah. So right now it's really just, uh, it's just kind of like an ecosystem. You know, we've done a, we've done it a couple of different ways, but the biggest thing that we've done so far is we, we kind of, intermediated a deal between the seniors on the football team and and the local Sonic restaurant. We felt like that was a really cool way to start. It was a great way for us to take a subset of the football program uh, who honestly has earned the opportunity and the right to uh, make a little bit of cash from their name, image, and likeness based off of what they've done for the program. And we went out and found a uh, partner in the community uh, who is also a local San Diego State supporter and a big supporter of the football program. And we kind of took the 
the hard part out of it for the players. You know, we kind of sat in the middle and negotiated the deal and got all the legal contracts and basically gave instructions to the players to what they had to do in order to earn the money. Uh, they were really excited about it. The, the vendor was really excited about it. And it was just a really cool way to, like I said, connect the, the student athletes back to a business in the community. So you mentioned Cal and you mentioned Texas. Kind of the the big newsmakers in this world have been SMU and BYU and some of the crazy things that they've been doing. Um, could you just speak about that high bar that even in its infancy, NIL has already kind of has set? Yeah, so I think uh, business is cool because it doesn't matter what you think can happen. At the end of the day, you got to go into the market and you got to test your theories. And I think the biggest thing with business is it's got to be sustainable. If you start a business today that goes out of business tomorrow, uh, you didn't do yourself any good or or really your, your customers any good. So, you know, I think what I've seen is there's a lot of donors kind of coming into the space and funding collectives. And then those collectives are then in turn figuring out ways to get those funds, you know, to the athletes. I don't know if that's sustainable, you know, if you're always going to people and saying, hey, write a check, write a check, write a check. Maybe it works out two, three, four, five years. Maybe it ends overnight, right? And so what I wanted to try to do is try to put together a process in place uh, that could live forever. So again, try to find business in the community. That's going to also get something out of it, right? So Sonic got a bunch of social media acknowledgement out of this deal that we did. They were happy. The collective was happy. The kids were happy. That's something that maybe we can take to another business in the community and say, this is what Sonic got out of it. This is what you could get out of it. I think that's sustainable. I think if you're going out and just asking people to write checks out of the goodness of their heart, when it's fresh and it's new, it's probably going to be fine. But uh, over time, you might lose a little bit of steam. So our collective is really about trying to set up sustainable systems uh, that lead to long-term engagement with Senegal State student athletes. So you, you've touched on this, but the, you know you had a little bit of extra time. You want to do what you can to be able to help the program. But you know, there's a lot of talk about NIL. There's a lot of talk about okay, San Diego State needs to be involved in that. Um, you know, Andre was alluding to us talking with Craig, saying it comes up in every conversation. But you actually stepped up and 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 jumped into the game of this of of trying to get something done. I mean, why was that important to you personally to to be able to lead Aztec Link and 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 like you said, test your theories and test to see whether or not you can make it sustainable. So I'll be perfectly honest with you. It was a little bit selfish on my part because I'm an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur since 2008. I always knew that I was going to run my own business, even when I was in college. I got a business degree from San Diego State. Um, I received a, uh, I pursued my master's in entrepreneurial management in San Diego State. Like, I always knew that this was the route that I was going to go down, but I never learned it, right? Like, the stuff that you learn in books when it comes to business is not the stuff that you actually have to put your hands on uh, when it comes to running a business. So, for me, um, I'm doing this because I wish somebody would have done it for me. And make no mistake about it, name, image, and likeness is a business. 
you know, these kids have an opportunity to be entrepreneurial. They're not on anybody's payroll. They're not receiving, you know, hourly wages. They have the opportunity to use their name, image, and likeness to generate revenue, which makes them a business. And selfishly, for me, I wish somebody would have taught me and told me uh, what that meant. So when I had the opportunity to kind of jump in and step up, uh, it was really because, you know, I just, I'm pretty passionate about helping just entrepreneurs in general understand foundations and fundamentals of business so that they can build something uh, sustainable on top of it. So it's a labor of love for me right now, but it gets me out of bed. It energizes me. Um, I get really excited when there's these times for student athletes to do deals. You know, I'm really energized and fueled by their appreciation and their satisfaction for being able to do it. So I'm just at a space right now where, you know, my payment is kind of that joy that I get by knowing that I'm helping this be done the right way. I think there's a lot of collectors out there that are setting kids up for failure. You know, if you're just dropping a $5,000 check into a kid's account and you're doing it because you're doing it for the program, you're not really giving student athletes the steps needed to understand what that means. I think you're creating a little bit of a recipe for disaster. So I kind of wanted to step in and kind of do my part and make sure that at least our student athletes don't, don't end up in that, in that situation. You mentioned the, you know, the satisfaction and the energy you get from helping others, but you know, athletes are really very competitive people. And as a former athlete, I assume you were. So does being executive director of Aztec Link allow you to kind of indulge in some of that competitive urge as you leak look to keep San Diego State kind of on par with the rest of the country in NIL? You know, it does, because I think at the end of the day, you got to keep up with the times, right? And I love our leadership over at San Diego State. Michelle Myers, one of the first people to be hired uh, as an NIL coordinator at any school in the country. That's a testament to J.D. Wicker and what he's trying to do to kind of stay out in front. But at the end of the day, the school can only do so much, right? I mean, if you read through the, the mandates that the NCAA has put out, it does draw a pretty, I'll call it a black line, but it's a pretty gray line, dark gray line as far as what schools can and cannot do. And it just creates a gap, right? It creates a gap and a need. And I think uh, somebody in the community or people in the community need to step up and and feel that, feel that need. And so... For me, that's what drew me to it was there was a little gap here. There was an opportunity to be on the forefront of something that could really benefit the university and the student athletes long term. And um, I wanted to be a part of it. So, what, what can San Diego State fans who may be listening to this or may go onto the website, what can they do to help support Aztec Link and, to, and the student athletes? I would say at this point, just let me know, right? So, so right, right now, what I'm doing is, I'm just listening. If there's a business out there that wants to do work with student athletes at San Diego State, they don't necessarily know how to go about it. Let's have a conversation. Uh, we're trying to create, you know, win-win opportunities for for everybody. I'm not pushing anything on anybody, but if you want to be involved. Let's figure out a way to, 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 to get you involved. The other thing that I think is really cool is we just created an NFT for a couple of players. 
mm-hmm. which I'm old school, right? I'm traditional sports mm-hmm. card kind of guy. So I'm learning this NFT stuff as I go. But that's a really cool way, I think, to support student athletes. Um, so Jesse Matthews is going to drop the NFT here pretty soon that we've kind of put our hands on through the collective. Jalen Maiden is also going to drop an NFT. Um, and Lucky Sutton, local kid from Cathedral, uh, is going to drop an NFT. We had a local attorney here, uh, Anthony Loretti, who runs a law firm in San Diego. He said, hey, man, I want to be involved. Is there anything that I can do? And I said, well, yeah, you sponsor uh, NFT for a couple of players. You'll get a little bit of visibility for visibility for your business. Players are going to make some money by selling their NFTs. And it's just another box that we can show that as a collective, we check. So I said all that to say this thing right now, I'm kind of building the bike as I ride it. Uh, so anybody that wants to be involved, I'm always down to listen and collaborate and hear uh, ways to, to, to be open to that. So a very similar question. You already mentioned, you know, the local Sonic drive-ins. How, how do the, the business sponsorship, I mean, just how, how would that work as a business owner? Um, what, what are some of those conversations? How, how would that, you know, play out? Yeah. I mean, so for me, it always starts with budget. You know, if I know what your budget is, then I know what can or cannot be done. Uh, what I don't want to do is, you know, I look at student athletes and I say, they're a full-time student, they're a full-time athlete, and now they're a part-time CEO. And so my goal is to make sure that I don't bring anything to them that's going to not be worth it, right? The juice has to be worth the squeeze. So if there's a business that you know wants to do something, wants to get involved, think this is cool, tell me what your, tell me what your budget is. I don't love deals, especially for student athletes that say, hey, you know, if you promote this and you sell something, then we'll give you a percentage of what you sell. Like, I'm not in love with it because, again, I think that all that stuff takes time. And if there's nothing I can do to guarantee resources back to the student athlete, then I kind of shy away from it. That's just my own kind of personal philosophy when it comes to, to supporting that locker room. Uh, now, what I will do is I'll do a deal where, hey, if you know, a business wants to put a little bit of money up front and then also pay the student athlete a percentage of sales. Great. I think that's a cool little win-win, but I always start off with the budget. That's an uncomfortable conversation for businesses and for kids. So I kind of like put that hat on and say, let's talk budget first and figure out what happens there. If people just want to donate to the collective, the money will be used for things that are going to make the collective stronger, right? And so, again, that might mean that it ends up into the hands of a student athlete. It might mean that, you know, operationally, the collective can do something that it couldn't do otherwise. Uh, But ultimately, every dollar that comes into the collective is going to be used for the purpose of of making this the best uh, experience and opportunity for these student athletes as possible. I wanted to circle back on something you said earlier about wishing that somebody had done this for you. Um, and, and, and the differences between, you know, what you read in a book, maybe what you see in a classroom versus, you know, what you actually experience. Could, could you just break down, you know, maybe some specifics about what it is that you do enjoy imparting to these young men 
and helping them in their process to, you know, be CEOs, to be entrepreneurs, to understand, you know, the value that they have and, and be able to, to use it to, you know, how they want? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think first and foremost, if we're talking about money, uh, we have to teach students in general. If you're an employee, money flows completely different than if you're an entrepreneur, right? If you're generating revenue, the way the money comes and deploys is completely different than if you're working at 7-Eleven as an hourly employee, right? And so that's kind of where I start. I start with that fundamental foundation of understanding money in, money out. Um, secondly, and this gets talked about a lot, but I don't think I don't think we give it the intention that it deserves. We talk about taxes, right? Like it's just a word that kind of pops up, and people are like, "Oh, you got to pay taxes," or "Be careful that you don't get in trouble with taxes." But the reality is there's a really cool lesson that can and should be taught when it comes to money and taxes. You know, employees pay taxes on salary. Businesses pay taxes on profit. That's a very, very, very clear distinction that, that, that needs to be made. And that's a conversation that student athletes, they want to have and they, they need to have. So I say business has its own language. It's legal, it's accounting, it's taxes, it's, you know, all these different things that unless somebody sits down and spells them out for you, you're probably going to gloss over them. And you'll probably learn at some point, but maybe you learn in a way that's a lot harder than it would have been if somebody would have told you. And so, you know, for me, whether it's understanding LLCs or taxes or what bookkeeping is and what that means and like I'm really, really, really in the weeds as far as the foundation is concerned, because you can't build a house without laying the foundation. And these student athletes, that's what they're doing. They're building, they're building the house. They have an NIL business. They have these opportunities to generate revenue. Whether it works out or not, they're going to get the experience of running their own business. And when they graduate and leave San Diego State, hopefully they're one or two steps ahead by going through that than they would be if they if they did it. So yeah, just having a conversation about money, being open upfront, open and honest about what it looks like, what the student athlete's responsibility is with that money, and then what are the different things that they need to make sure that they're aware of. Because making money is spending money is easy. Making money is a little harder, but it's probably just as easy as spending money. But taxes, saving, all that stuff is a little bit different, right? So yeah. not just dropping people off a cliff when it comes to the money hitting their bank account, really just knowing that they can use the collective as a support system to understand everything uh, kind of from A to Z. We're transitioning into, you know, some other topics about this year's team, man, picking that football brain of it. Uh, just just wanted to ask, you know, Craig Smith was was re making reference to the offseason and that that there's going to be a push from the program in the offseason. Um, is, is there anything coming down the, the pike that 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 fans, supporters could be just kind of keeping an eye on with Aztec Link um, as you know, you're gearing up for that offseason, maybe when they have a little bit more time to be able to, to do some of these business ventures? Yeah. And, and, you know, honestly, that's the goal. The goal is to turn this into a year-round support system. You know, we, we get a chance to watch San Diego State football 
14 or 15 weeks out of the year consistently, right? The hardest part is not the season for student-athletes. The hardest part is the off-season. It's trying to balance the, the school with, you know, jobs and, and workouts. And that's the stuff we don't get a chance to see. But that's the stuff that I think really puts a lot of pressure and stress on student-athletes. So, so for us, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that the public knows and the community knows that we're here for you student-athletes throughout the year. Season part is easy. We'll see them. You'll see us. Everybody sees everybody. But our goal is to make sure that in the off season that we're trying to very much like you guys do. We're trying to keep Centennial State in the forefront of people's minds and social media feeds and conversations um, because the off season is just as just as important as the in season as it pertains to student athletes uh, needing that support, wanting that support uh, kind of on a year round basis. Yeah, we definitely want to commend you for for this and what you're doing for the student athletes, because I think it's going to be uh, it's a game changer all across the country. And it's good to see San Diego State and student athletes be a part of that as well. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, man, I'm just I'm happy that I get an opportunity to be involved. I'm a little bit of a creation junkie. So this kind of like falls into line with with my philosophy and, and, and how I view the world. So just glad I could have the opportunity to at the very least, help stand this thing up. I don't know where this thing is going to go in the next two, three, four, five years, but I know that we're building it on strong bones, and that's going to give it an opportunity to to be very, very, very successful and to also help a ton of student athletes along the way. So we couldn't, we didn't want to have you on without talking about some of the players on the team. And you know, you you were a quarterback at Mira Mesa High School. Um, had a had a great career there. Noah, and you moved to wide receiver when you came to San Diego State. Noah Tumblin, who's a cornerback at San Diego State, was a quarterback at Mira Mesa as well. We had him on the podcast during the summer, and we asked him who was the best quarterback in Mira Mesa High School history. And his answer was that he was, and you were a close second. <laughs> so how how would how you have a response for for Noah's comment? You know what? I'm just going to be a thousand percent honest, right? I played running back in Pop Warner and I was moved to quarterback my freshman year in high school, but I never felt like I was going to play quarterback in college, right? And again, I played quarterback in a different era when it was, you're an athletic quarterback, it was really about running the option. And if you didn't run the option, then you, you change position. So I think I am the best left-handed quarterback athlete mm-hmm. to come out of Mira Mesa High School. But I watched Noah play, and Noah was phenomenal. He was a incredible athlete. He had an incredible arm. I do believe that Noah could have, if he wanted to play quarterback in college and been very successful at it. So I'll give him the nod. You know, I'll, I'll let Noah take the the throne as the best quarterback to come out of Mira Mesa. I'm the best athlete for sure, but he's, he, he was a better quarterback. So <laughs> <laughs> you played wide receiver at San Diego State, you know, hold a lot of records. So and there's some pretty good wide receivers on the team this year. Um, I listened to your interview on the Sons of Montezuma podcast last year. And the thing that I remember and that stood out to me was, you mentioned that, you know, Jesse Matthews is going to be playing on Sundays. And I think 
maybe before that, I hadn't really heard or seen anybody say that. And so I assume you still agree with that assessment. And then why do you think he's an NFL caliber player? And do you see him as a slot guy? Can he play outside? Yeah, so I think um, if you look at Jesse's body type, he has an NFL body. He's not the biggest guy in the world in terms of height, but is extremely well put together from an athletic standpoint. He catches the ball as good as anybody I've ever seen. Like the types of catches that Jesse makes are the type of catches that you need to make and have to make in the National Football League. Most catches in the league are contested. And so a lot of the catches that Jesse makes that are 50-50 spectacular contested catches, that just shows you who he is as a wide receiver, right? And so if you get an opportunity to play in the NFL, you have to make more of those catches than than not because all catches in the league are basically contested. Jesse's athleticism is also really good. Not the fastest guy in the world, but it's probably a sub 4'6 guy, which for his height and his strength is more than enough. He can jump out of the gym, which means he's crazy explosive, right? The ability to get in and out of routes Mm -hmm. is on his side. I worked out with him in the summer, and he is very sudden. He's very intentional about getting in and out of his breaks. He's as good of a, you know, is he a probably a number one or a number two receiver in the NFL today? No. Could he grow into that? I don't know. Maybe. But when I put him on a roster as a three, four, or five, somebody who can come in, catch balls, play in the slot, play special teams, and do that for a long time, yeah, absolutely. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So keeping with with uh, the starters there, Tyrell Shavers. I mean, he's he's kind of, if if anything, he's the opposite of Jesse Matthews, right? Jesse was obviously a walk on. No one had the idea that this guy could go to the NFL, you know. And and to, to Andre's point, you may have been the first, but you have him in the last since. You know, people people see the the things that Jesse has done. Um, Tyrell Shavers has been the opposite. He's a guy who was recognized, you know, junior in high school. You're going to be playing in the NFL already right like he wouldn't be in this year at san diego state so what what do you see from him potentially as he moves to the next level and just the growth um that's happened you know that we've seen especially especially this season i think the best thing about tyrell and jesse is both of those guys play special teams Mm -hmm. and they play special teams really well so my senior year when kasim osgood and i uh broke the record for catches and yards for a duel Mm -hmm. uh the ncaa record Neither one of us played special teams. Like no punt block, no kickoff return, no punt return, none of that. And I think that hurts, right? Because I ended up being a fifth round pick and Kasim ended up being a free agent. And in my mind, I didn't think twice about special teams. Put me on the field, I'll catch the ball, I'll catch touchdowns, I'll pick up first downs. That was always my mentality. But because Terrell and, and, and Jesse have both played special teams, played well on special teams, I think that gives them that gives them a leg up. You know, that's why Kasim played 11 years in the National Football League, and that's why I struggled to get the four years that I had. That was the difference. So both of those guys, again, they can go out, they can make plays for you uh, offensively, 
but 33% of the game, special teams, and in the NFL, it is the most important unit on the field. And it sounds weird to say that, but if you don't have 11 guys on every single unit that does not cause problems for the offense or defense, in the NFL, that would get you beat every single week. Yeah. And when I was coming up, um, Rodney Harrison and Junior Seau were two guys that kind of mentored me. And when I got to the Dolphins and Junior Seau was there, that's when my light bulb about special teams went on. Junior was on pretty much a kickoff, you know, um, field goal block. And I have never seen anybody go harder on a rep than I would watch Junior on field goal block, right? So, again, long-winded way of saying Jesse and Tyrell are both capable receivers at the next level, but I think what could have them play stick and also play for a decent amount of time is that they've had so much experience under Coach Deacon playing special teams, and that could be the thing that separates the both of them. Um, you're you're obviously very very uh, connected with the wide receivers um, at the prep level in San Diego, right? I think you have a weekly award that you give out, and so I know that that you know he he that Makai Shaw, he's might have caught Aztec Nation by surprise, but I know that you've you you know back at Scripps Ranch, like like this has been somebody's been on your radar and somebody you've paid attention to. Um, how how has he grown? You know, he's obviously had a he had a you know a career day um, the last two weeks. Had a huge another one against New Mexico. I mean, just he's been unbelievable with two touchdowns. I mean, what, what strengths do you see from him? I guess just like connecting that. Like, how important is it when someone who's a walk on like him can grow so much in a program? What, what does that do to everybody who competes with him? Yeah, I mean, I think it tells you that where I start is and where I finish in this program, right? So, I mean, we've seen guys come in with a lot of fanfare and are no longer with the program. And, and conversely, we've seen guys like, you know, Makai and Jesse come in as walk-ons and become not only starters, but starters at a young age. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesse Matthews has been running around on this Aztec football field since he was a true freshman as a walk-on, right? And so it tells you, like, listen, where you show up in this program isn't necessarily where you're going to finish. You know, if you start at the top and you feel like you're going to stay there because that's where you started, you're probably going to find yourself on on, on, a, on a bus ticket out of here. Uh, but if you come in at the quote-unquote bottom and you show and prove, um, there's nothing that says that coaching staff won't, won't give you an opportunity. And, you know, that's just – I think that's just in the fabric of that staff. Adam Hall was my quarterback when I was at mm-hmm. uh, uh, San Diego State. And that's just the type of guy Adam is, right? Like, he kind of controls the culture of that football team based off mm-hmm. of the, the energy and effort and the work that he does with those guys uh, in the weight room and on the field. And so it makes total sense to me that with a guy like Adam being able to pull the strings or, or, or drive culture – that anybody that comes in that program, if you're good enough, if you're tough enough, if you're consistent enough, and you add enough value, uh, the Aztec, that Aztec staff is going to find a place for you. You mentioned earlier about Noah Tumblin being able to play quarterback at this level. You know, he may want to now that he's seen what Jalen Maiden has done these last six starts. 
Have you have you seen anything like what's transpired with Maiden over the last six weeks? I, I have not. I've never seen anything like that. You know, Jalen Maiden went out and had six solo tackles and two assisted tackles against Toledo. He had eight tackles against Toledo, and the very next week he threw for 322 yards. I mean, I've never seen anything anything like it. Jalen is special. I mean, I was talking to somebody about it the other day. You can't ignore signs, right? Like, mm-hmm. you get a kid like that who comes in, gets buried on the depth chart. In this world of the transfer era, um, he could have easily picked his bags and gone somewhere else, right? He had done it once. He left Mississippi State and came here. Why not leave and go try to find another home somewhere else? But he dug his heels in. He was humble. Um, he kept working hard. And he's good. Like, <laughs> like this is the part that's like, I think the most, it's not like you took a kid from the other side of the ball and you brought him over and he was serviceable. Like, Jalen Maiden is one of the best quarterbacks in the country right now. Right. That's not me being a homer. That's just looking at the stats. Like, look at what he's done, the touchdown he's thrown, his touchdown-interception ratio, his yards per attempt. Like, he is literally one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, and he's 5-1, and one, should easily be 6-0. and oh. So, he's special. Hopefully, the world doesn't have to get hit upside the head with a hammer to, to, to realize it. He's already given us six instances to know that he is a special player, and I'm excited for him to finish his year here. But I'm really excited to watch him in 2020. So we, we talked about the the wide receivers on the team this year, but you know you you hold a lot of records as a wide receiver at San Diego State. You're an All American uh, your senior year. I think you led the country in yards per game and I think second in catches. But you had one particular game against Arizona State: twelve catches, two hundred ninety six yards. Tell us tell us about that game. We lost. <laughs> 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 That's all you remember. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, that was a football team who had some talent. That Arizona State football team. Terrell Suggs was on that football team. Uh, Sean McDonald, Andrew Walter. So Sean McDonald ended up winning the Bolitnikoff that year. And Andrew Walter played, had a great career as a quarterback uh, for the for the Raiders. Um, but those guys came into to, to, to Qualcomm. Man, we we surprised them. We jumped out on them 21 to nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. We played them the year before. We were a completely different team with a completely different approach. Um, but unfortunately, we, we ended up losing that, that football game. And, you know, that's one of the things that anytime I get a chance to say it, I say it. Winning is hard. And, you know, sometimes you're on the, the fan boards and, People are saying, you know, this was boring or that was this. And I'm like, dude, anytime you can win a ball game, just appreciate it. You know, last year to win 12 games and, and lose only two. Oh, well, we could have lost these and we didn't do this. And I'm like, anytime you get a chance to win ball games, appreciate it. Because I was on a football team that was crazy exciting. We'd go out and score 40 points a game. I mean, I think Adam threw for 500 yards two or three times my senior year, and we finished four and nine. I absolutely would have traded in 
maybe not all the stats, but some <laughs> of them go nine and four. So right. I just tell you know people today like we've done a great job of going from being exciting to being prolific in terms of winning. Do not take that for granted because winning is is is, is, is tough. To well, you're you're uh, you're part of a winning team doing pregame coverage coverage for. Uh... Aztec football on the radio at 760, man. What do you like most about being, you know, just that part of, of what you do? Yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't do it for any other school. People ask me all the time, like, oh, do you want to go into broadcasting or do you want to, you know, do TV? And when I first came out of the NFL, I thought maybe that was a direction that I wanted to go into. Um, it's not. You know, again, I do it because I love San Diego State connection that I have to the program, I think I'm able to to really give the players the justice that they deserve, right? And not just the current players, but the former players. You know, I think being around the program so long, I have, you know, really cool stories and really cool experiences that connect former players to current players. And Brady talks about it all the time. You know, it's about the guys that have been here, the guys that are here, and the guys that will be here. And so for me, just to be able to kind of be that that fill in to, to, to be able to, to connect. You know, I, again, I think about Terrell and Jesse. Terrell and Jesse are no different than Kasim and JR. I mean, that duo is exactly me and Like, if you stand me next to Jesse, well, three kids and a wife will go, you know what I mean? <laughs> if you stand me next to Jesse and you stand Terrell next to Kasim, it's, it's like, it's like that that Superman like right meme. right the meme yeah yeah I mean so so that's why I'm so confident when I watch Jesse because I feel like I'm watching myself right mm. and again when I'm watching Terrell I'm looking at him and I'm saying man this dude is just like he's a rebirth of Kasim and I think that's the perspective that I can bring to to the radio and to the conversation is you know I've been around the program so long that it's easy for me to to draw these comparisons of yesterday's players with uh with today's players well you, you do a fantastic job man um we really enjoy it too just like you know part of what we do is you know we're at the games and then when we want to go and we're doing our analysis you know we go back and so listening to you and john schaefer uh do the idaho state game was just a treat man it was great but had you ever been on tv like that before and i guess just what was that experience like for you and no, you know they just asked me at the last second um, it's funny because me and John, we actually called a game together, uh, but it was a high school game last year. It was a uh, Granite Hills against Helix. Phenomenal game. The kid, uh, Christian Washington, that uh, is the running back for New Mexico. New Mexico. Yeah. We watched that kid score five touchdowns. It was like one of the most unbelievable performances that we that we saw. I actually text uh, Matt Rosano, who was Craig before Craig was Craig. Yeah. While I was at the game, and I'm like, "Are you guys like looking like this kid is a baller, you know?" But uh, but yeah, so me and John, we had worked together before in that capacity, and then they said, "Hey, listen, like we're not exactly sure how this Idaho State uh, broadcast is going to work out, but if you have an opportunity to do play by play, you know, would you be interested?" And with John, like he and I, like he does a great job of, of leading me. When it comes to the broadcast, so I felt completely comfortable doing it because of my relationship with uh, with him. Yeah, we had John Schaefer on 
podcast earlier this year as well. And then and, and Paul and I have talked about this and talked with a lot of Aztec fans that like how fortunate San Diego sports is to have John here um, doing what he does because he's so passionate about the teams he covers and talks about. You would almost think that this guy was born and raised in San Diego and followed all these teams, but he's been here for, I don't know, five years. So yeah, he's, we're, we're all very fortunate to have him. Yeah, he does a great job, man. And he's, I mean, he's a pro's pro, right? Like, yeah, he won't, you know, ever brag about himself or talk about himself. But, I mean, just the, I've learned so much from him, just the way that he, you know, approaches his craft. And you're right. You would not know that John did not graduate from San Diego State University. Like, I have a little bit of an excuse to be able to kind of draw off the memory bank. But somehow, someway, John is just crazy prepared and extremely passionate and just does a really good job, I think, of, of representing uh, San Diego State athletics. And versatile, too. Like, yeah. John can call basketball. He can call football. He can call baseball. He can call soccer. Like, just unbelievably versatile. And uh, you, you're right. We're extremely blessed to have a guy uh, like that on, on our side of the among the many things that you've done since football, on top of the entrepreneurship and and the broadcasting things like that, you also coached high school for at least one year. Um, how is that transition going from a player to a coach? Because a lot of some players don't want anything to do with it, and some players obviously excel in it. So how is that for you? Man, it's it's different, and, and I don't know why, but I hadn't made the connection mm-hmm. of coaching and playing and how different they were. Um, I always wanted to be a high school football coach because I just loved high school football. And I had a a head coach, Coach Gary Blevins, who was our high school football coach, but he owned a driving school. He owned Poway Mirror Mesa Driving School. I was like, man, I want to do that. Like, I want to have my own business and then roll up and coach and take off. Uh, So my vision was always to go back to high school and be a high school coach. Um, And I did it for six years from 2009. To 2015, I was the head football coach and athletic director at Sage Hill School in Newport Beach. It's exactly what I needed. I was just transitioning out of the NFL. That is a lonely journey, going from not playing to have to figure out who you're going to be and what you're going to do with the rest of your life. But the coaching was exactly what I needed. I got to yell at kids all day. I got to uh, you know network with parents and. That six years was really something that I don't know where I would have been without it. Um, being able to coach in a sport that I truly love and truly cared about as a way to transition out of playing into my, you know, what's next, if you will, was an experience that I'm that I'm eternally grateful for. Final question for you. So this is your 10th anniversary being enshrined in the Aztec Hall of Fame. So what what does being an Aztec for life mean to you? Man, you know what's crazy is, um, so when I came to San Diego State, I was enamored by the guys that had come through the program. Like, I I really was. Like, I was, I moved from Louisiana to San Diego, and somehow, someway, I didn't really have a lot of connection to San Diego State when I was in Louisiana. But when I was here, it was completely in my face, right? Mm -hmm. So the Billy Blantons of the world. Will Blackwell, Azak King, George Jones, 
Ricky Parker, Roy Glover, Marshall. Like, I just, I was enamored by Aztec football. And at some point, I think it was my sophomore or junior year, I was like, I want to play at San Diego State. But I was like, I don't even know if I'm good enough to play at San Diego State, right? And so when I got the opportunity to play at San Diego State, it was something that I, um, I really appreciated. I was grateful for it. But I never looked at myself as a Hall of Famer. Like, I had a good career at San Diego State. You know, my freshman year, I started a couple of games, my redshirt freshman year. And then I was a three-year starter, you know. I caught 60 balls my sophomore year, 60 balls my junior year. But I never looked at myself as like a Will Blackwell or an Azakim or anything like that. And then I had the big senior year. But that was like a moment in time, right? And so, you know, it lead, led to me getting drafted in the fifth. But again, I never really like saw myself as, you know, an Aztec Hall of Famer. So when I got the call from Steve Shaw, I was completely shocked. Like it wasn't anything that was in my mind. I hadn't even thought about it. Um, but when he called and said, hey, we're going to induct you into the Aztec Hall of Fame, um, man, it meant, it meant a lot to me. And the coolest thing I think for me now is, you know, I got three small kids. Uh, when I get a chance to take them up to the building, they see my plaque on the wall or see my jersey hanging up. That's probably the coolest part for me. Um, so, yeah, Aztec for life is is is, is absolutely, uh, you know, who I am through and through. And it's probably a little bit of an understatement. Mm-hmm. Aztec for life, Aztec after life, Aztec in the next life. Um, really, really, really grateful for the opportunity that uh, San Diego State gave to me and, and something that that uh, that I'll that I'll forever cherish. Awesome, Jr. Thank you so much for the time. It was always uh, um, awesome to talk to you, and and especially about Aztec Link. We definitely wanted to get more info on that and get more info out to the fans because I, we know a lot of people ask us, you know, how they can support student athletes. So uh, this is going to be a great way for one great way to do that. Yeah, man. Azteclink.com. Go there. Got any questions? Want an inquiry? shoot a message on there. It comes uh, right to me. And yeah, man, let's have a conversation. Let's figure out how do we uh, position ourselves to to take the next step. A lot of conference realignment talk going on. Yeah. When that button hits, this thing is going to be even that much more important. So we may as well start putting some time, energy, and effort into it now. Awesome. Well, have a great day. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. All right, Paul, great interview with JR talking about a multitude of things, but particularly Aztec Link and his involvement with that. What were your thoughts about our discussion with him? Well, I think Aztec Link is is a pretty interesting concept. I'm excited about somebody of the quality of JR Tolver trying to, to get into this because, you know, you know this better than I do, but where there's money, there's vultures. Where Where there's money you know, ugly things come in and it, it, it takes people of character and it takes people who know who they are and not, you know, whatever to not make it an ugly thing. And I think that having someone like him try to see what the San Diego state community can bring to these kids to try to, you know, have legitimate NIL presence I think it's huge. And, you know, I I think it's really important.
I, I definitely appreciated his honesty and his transparency about, you know, why he got into this and about how it's a, it's a work in progress and how he wants to talk to people and, and hear ideas. And he's not, he's got this open mind about, you know, there's many different ways that this could work and there's different opportunities and he wants to hear from people. So if anyone's out there listening that, you know, is in a position where they want to, you know, maybe partner with Aztec Link or find out more stuff, definitely hit him up. I definitely enjoyed t- listening to him talk about the current players on the team because he's got, you know, as someone who does the pregame show, as someone who's done a play-by-play or a color analyst for a game, he's got a wealth of knowledge from being a player and also talking, being with the team around mm-hmm. several things. And so I definitely uh, enjoy hearing him talk about, you know, Matthews and Shavers. And and uh, I think the most interesting thing was how he was comparing he and Kasim Osgood to Shavers and Matthews in terms of what each of them bring to the table, size, uh, ability, kick return, um, bump blocking, things like that. And I, I had... I hadn't really thought of it that way, but it makes a lot of sense because I do remember Kasim Osgood on the Chargers and and what he did in the punt punt, punt return game hey, and the yeah. you know he yeah he was Pro Bowler and you heard about him you rarely heard about people that played that position mm-hmm. and so he was one of those first guys if not the first that like you he made a name for himself doing that and you know Shavers obviously is, is a great receiver too but he's made a name with some of the pump blocks and the stuff he's done there and the touchdowns. And so uh, I thought that was a really cool analogy to compare them, uh, him, his duo to them. I agree. And uh, <laughs> I will say that JR's the idea that it's been a decade since he was inducted into the hall of fame was, you know, another of the, the, yeah. the, the long list of um, things that I've been seeing in my life that are telling me that I'm older. So I don't know if this is out or whatever, but it took me 10 years to get my four-year degree because I was a night student, JC for ever. Like literally I got my JC and my AA and, you know, my mom put it up on the wall because she was like, this is the only thing he's ever going to get. Like it was, it was kind of, I was like, <laughs> I was like mom, we don't, we don't put associates degrees from Southwestern college up on the wall. But then after a while I was, you know, I was like, it's cool. I love Southwestern. Um, but I'm a little bit older than JR, but he was one of the guys around the time after I graduated high school who was around state. And so for him to not only have done everything that he's done, but then be 10 years removed from being a Hall of Famer, man, I thought that was pretty funny. But I think he was right in what he said. The offenses that he was a part of were really exciting. They, They were at the forefront of kind of the bubble screens. And so like him and Kasim Osgood were both over a hundred yards because basically they were their running backs and their wide receivers that season. Yeah. They were fun. They threw the ball all over the place. Adam Hall was just this gritty, you know, Texas guy who, um, you know, didn't get, it, it took a cheap shot by a TCU player to get him knocked out of the games. And they were, you know, competitive with better teams, stuff, but they just couldn't get over the hump and win. And to just talk about how like people are complaining about maybe the way the Aztecs win and things like that, you can just see kind of the rudeness in in a time when they were not winning and a time when, you know, they, they had exciting athletes, they had all the stuff that yeah. people are clamoring for now. 
but without the results. So I thought that was pretty, pretty important, you know, just a reminder, because I think he has that perspective to, to, to give everybody. When I hear Adam Hall as the court, as a quarterback, it just always like. He was good. Right. But like, I knew him, I know him as the strength and conditioning. Coach, right, 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 right. I wasn't watching San Diego state football when he was the quarterback. So that to me, I think of him as this big bruising strength guy. Yeah. And to hear him, I know when you when you spoke to him and you wrote the article about him earlier this summer. So it's just it's weird to hear about him as a quarterback when I know him as a strength and condition. The big no, Adam Hall, Adam Hall, and he was super humble about it. I remember asking him about that, you know, and he was just like, Oh, you know, when when you're throwing the ball to Kasim Osgood and you're throwing the ball to J.R. Tolver, you know, you look really good. No, he I I think it's Westlake High School that he went to. Which is the big Texas high school, and and I, I I'm I'm gonna, I'm blanking on the guy who I think I can be forgiven. I'm blanking on the guy who was a quarterback out at Westlake before Adam Hall, but he's really good. And you're just like, okay, and this is the next guy, and he's transferring to San Diego State. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! And and he was good. He was really really good. And like I said, I can. I, it's fun. I was at the I was at the game. I can even see in my mind's eye. You know the cheap shot. It was it was. Uh, you know, I where from where I was sitting was on the opposite side of the field, but a cheap shot by TCU when they were really good, you know, and but the Aztecs were giving him fits, you know, and, and he kind of scrambled and the guy he got called for it, but Adam Hall didn't come back in the game and then it was over. But he was good. He was really good. Adam Hall was a very, very good quarterback. So moving, you know, we'll go quickly. Air Force is the last last regular season game of the season, the last home game. It's gonna be senior night. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Fresno State had clinched the West Division this past weekend, so the conference win 22 in 22 is not going to happen. Right. Uh, obviously, getting to eight wins and getting a better bowl game is important. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on Air Force and um, what you'd be looking for in just the last home game of the season? Yes. I mean, it's senior night. I, I think you you look at any, any of the players who are going to be coming through the next few years. They're the ones who played in Carson. They're the ones who who did all of that. And so I think that's pretty significant that you just show that appreciation for the leadership. You know, obviously they 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 also were the ones that bridged the gap from Rocky Long to, to Brady Hoke. Um, and so I think, you know, the 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 program owes a huge debt of gratitude to um these seniors. And then, you know, this year, my goodness, I mean, if there was ever an opportunity for a coaching staff to lose a team. It, it was this one. I mean, you know, going back to what um, J.R. Tolver was saying about having a winning culture, this this season would have been lost in all of those Aztec teams before all the adversity that they faced and just being really bad, um, passing the ball and all that. So the seniors being able to hold the team together. I mean, every single time, you know, I, we, we would ask about an offensive lineman and a good game that they would have. Brady Hoke's response would be, Alamulave has done a great job with the offensive line. I mean, it was it, it, it didn't matter what we were doing. He's like, oh man, I'd be remiss to be able to not talk about. And it didn't matter who who it was. You know, Kate Bennett obviously has had a really really good year, and you know, we were asking about him, and it was like, oh, uh, you know, I, you know, he's done a really good job. So I I think it's just been a it's been a um, a special group of seniors that has been able to open up Snapdragon. I don't think that's an easy thing. And then to yeah. to to lay an egg at the beginning when everyone's expectations are so high, to to handle the coaching change, all of these kinds of things. And then you get to the game, and I think the game is going to be. I mean, I w- I went back and looked. Air Force is averaging ten point three possessions a game. 
They had they they're coming. They had eight possessions against Colorado State last week. They've had nine another game. You know, I think their high is fifteen once, and they got eleven, and the rest of them are ten. Um, one nine, and then the rest are tens. And so they it it's going to be about efficiency. That's really what it's going to be about. Which team is able to not only score in the limited number of opportunities that they're going to have, but also which ones are going to be able to find the end zone and as opposed to kicking field goals. And if, and whichever team is able to do that is going to win. And then the last idea about it, I think that, that, you know, San Diego state has a winning season, right. Um, With the seven wins, but this still has the opportunity to be kind of a 500 team. If they lose this game and they lose the bowl game, and they're sitting there at seven and six, the, the, the positivity that it all feels and going into the off season, you know, it's lost. And so the opportunity to, cause I think, I think everyone respects air force and I think everybody sees how good air force has been. And to, if they can, if they can win against air force and match their record, right. I think it would really, really just kind of put the the season and how much of a turnaround that the Aztecs have had. So I think it's a great opportunity that's in front of them. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier, the triple option. You know, New Mexico ran the triple option, but it wasn't a exclusive triple option. Right. Uh, but Air Force is particularly exclusive. And they did a great job in last year's game. I believe they were up 20 to nothing in the in the third third quarter. Uh, Air Force got back into the game with a couple touchdowns, but the defense did a pretty good job stopping the run. Mm-hmm. So the and you know the, under Rocky Long they always did a really good job for the most part. So that's obviously the focus defensively going into this game, and then offensively it's keep doing what you're doing. Jalen made with the ball in Jalen Maiden's hands, spreading the ball around, and you know as you said, being efficient. This would be you know I said New Mexico would be, game would it be a great time for the for the rushing game to be consistent and be dominant, right? Even even though Keaton Kristen had 102 yards, you know it was really one big play mm-hmm. that that was the the, the yardage. Uh, this would be another great opportunity to finally get the run game going. And and we've been saying it a lot this year, but uh, maybe eventually this this is the game that it can all come together because the offensive line has been improving steadily over the last maybe three weeks. So yeah, I think I think typically. You know, my idea of, of Air Force being smaller and stuff like that, like the later in the year that you get them, you know, that's usually better. But it's going to be a they're a very prideful team, obviously, obviously what they do and the discipline that they have. I think it's a it's a really good contrast for a young offensive line that has not been as disciplined. Um, and so I think the Aztecs, again, it's it's a great opportunity because if they're able to get to eight wins to, to close off the season, I, I mean, it just came out of nowhere how you view the staff, I think really changes a whole bunch by, by what happens these last two games, because, you know, the staff obviously at this point have not lost anybody. They didn't fold. They did all those things that we talked about. And if they, if they carry on these two games, I think it's just, you know, they, they go into the next season feeling really, really good about their potential. Conversely, you know, they, they run into some hiccups, um, you know, I think you you have some of those same mm-hmm. questions. Their their offensive line might be a question mark, as opposed to like being a little bit more solidified. Yada yada yada. Yeah. So, and I think it's a great opportunity for them. And and you know, um, I think after Arizona, I I think they've been pretty good at home, right? So, <laughs> great way to, to to finish out the first season at Snapdragon. 
One one quick uh, backup to senior night. Other than Jalen Maiden, none of the other seniors that are eligible to come back for one more year have made any announcements. You know, last year, every senior took part in the senior night in Carson. But then some of those, you know, 10 of those, half of those guys decided to come back and they're going to have another senior night this this weekend or this. Yeah, this weekend. In basketball, though, I think it was Matt Bradley and Seiko announced before senior night that they were coming back and didn't partake. Right. So I wonder if before Saturday we're going to find out about any other seniors other than Maiden who are deciding to come back and whether they will or won't participate, or if we'll have to wait until after the game next week to find out who's coming back. Everyone's kind of wondering who you know, out of those main you know six or seven guys that are eligible to come back, who's coming. The the sooner we all find out, the more we can start looking at you know next year. Because uh, it's hard to do that now with so much, so many what ifs. But you know, we obviously the the players will make their decisions. The teams will make their decisions in in time. But I'd like it'd be cool to find out sooner or later. Yeah, I completely agree. But like you said, uh, last year was no help at all, except for the fact that Cameron Thomas went through with yeah, his brother, yeah. kind of came out of the tunnel and kind of experienced it a little yeah. bit. We were both kind of saying, okay, well, he's he's. He's done, but I agree. I agree. I don't think I don't. I, I would not. I would not anticipating it be super helpful, especially because Brady has told us repeatedly, and also Craig Smith reiterated, like Maiden saying something is just not the way that they do things. They wait until after the season, so I would expect those conversations to be happening like next week is when yeah. is, is when those conversations will be happening, and you know it just becomes that uh, guessing game and and waiting and seeing, and uh, you know I think that there's. There are so many that that's next week's podcast. I mean, there, there's just, there's so many yeah. great conversations that could be had about those players. Yep. Definitely a discussion for uh, next week or the following week. Um, that's going to do it for us. Thanks guys for listening. Make sure as always to hit the subscribe button, like comment, share. We appreciate you guys for listening through this whole year, starting in January up until as we're about to hit December. Crazy. Good 11 months. So we appreciate you guys and thank you for always listening. And we'll talk next time. You are listening to the SDSU Football Podcast presented by the East Village Times with your hosts, Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison.